Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Wise Athletes Podcast, where we invite you to join our journey to understand how older athletes can achieve high performance and longevity in athletics. I am Joe Lavelle with Dr. Glenn Winkle, and this is episode 21 of our podcast. Glenn and I are joined today by Lauren Constantini. Lauren is the founder and owner of Confluent Nutrition. Lauren has a PhD in neuroscience and was a nationally ranked professional bike racer. Against all the odds, Lauren is still riding hard despite a challenging back surgery in 2019. As a scientist, Lauren was able to investigate the vast sea of research to find evidence for the optimal diet that would allow her to return quickly to a high level of performance. What she found was not only a diet that helped her to recover from surgery, but helped her to become stronger than ever. Listen in as Lauren describes her investigation and personal experience in finding the best diet for her athletic performance and longevity. I can tell you that after talking to Lauren, I have shifted my diet to match her findings, and I am very happy with my own results. I hope you can find a few tidbits that you can use to make yourself healthier and stronger in your sport. Okay, good morning, everybody. Today, our discussion is about nutrition for the older athlete with a focus on optimizing performance. I'm joined today by Lauren Costantini. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you. Good to be here with both of you. Awesome. And of course, I'm here with Glenn Winkle as well, per usual. Good morning, Glenn. Good morning, Joe and Lauren. How are you both? Great. Doing very well. Thanks very much. Well, nutrition. We did just have an episode about nutrition, but I love the topic of nutrition. There is so much to talk about. And today we're going to talk about what Lauren had learned in a personal experience of hers and how that she has turned that into a service for other people to help them with their nutrition. But before we get into any of that detail, Lauren uh, has a PhD in neuroscience. She was CEO of a wearable sensors company, was a nationally ranked professional bike racer, including taking a bronze at Worlds. Congratulations. Thank you. And now owns three businesses, a biotech consulting firm, LLC Consulting, an adventure tour guide company, Pedal Adventures, and a nutrition and wellness coaching company called Confluence. That's very impressive sounding, Lauren. Uh, I'm sure there's more to the story. Can you give us a little more background? It's usually helpful for our audience to understand better where your perspective and your knowledge on this subject comes from. Sure. So thanks again for uh, having me on the show. I'm definitely a scientist through and through. So even when I was young and getting my degree and I was in academia for many years and focused on peer-reviewed journal articles. That was kind of our lifeblood was publishing our data in scientific journals. I became enamored with just the scientific process and looking into data and identifying the facts through data in peer-reviewed journals. So I think that seeps over into all aspects of my life. I, I did go off and spend many years in the biotech world, in the neuroscience space, and then became uh, very excited about the wearable sensor space, which Joe, you and I have talked a little bit about in the yes. past. It's a fantastic space. And being in the athletic performance world, we're really starting to use all those, all that data that our bodies are radiating for the better for our own selves. My personal story with the nutrition side is that after facing back fusion surgery last year, I was on the couch for three months before I could really do anything again. And all I wanted to do was heal as fast as I could, as most of us athletes are thinking about when we're injured. So I started just reading all the scientific literature on how can I eat to heal better? I'd always had a fairly healthy diet. 
most of my life. And I just wanted to know all of these other diets I've been hearing about, the keto diet, the paleo diet, vegan, vegetarian, carnivore, low fat, high fat. There's so much out there. And I had never actually sat down and researched all of them and really looked at all of them and say and decide which one really is the, the better uh, the better diet for an athlete. But now I had a perspective that I need to find the one that's going to help me recover. So three months on the couch and just constantly reading peer-reviewed journals. And I didn't really realize that the findings would not only provide me with what, what my doctors consider a miraculous recovery from surgery, but it also ended up elevating my performance after my recovery. So with these changes in my nutrition, with fine-tuning some of my strength work, and also kind of refocusing my mindset on what it means to be an older athlete as we're getting into our elderly years, but still wanting to crush it on, on the weekends. Exactly. I actually recovered from my surgery, and I am now stronger on the bike and in my trail running. I'm leaner and more defined in my body composition. I've got unlimited energy. and all the sleep problems that I was starting to have have absolutely disappeared. So it started out as just, okay, I'm going to eat well after my surgery to recover. And then I'll just go back to what I was doing before. But now I've just completely flipped. So um, after doing all the research on all of those different diets, which is what we can talk about today, uh, I realized that it, it had a lasting effect on my athletic performance too. Wow. Well, that sure sounds fantastic. I definitely want to know all the details <laughs> and anybody else in our age group who is an athlete, they're going to want to know too that. Yes. You know, I mean, when we're younger, the supplement to take the, how, how to have the best performance in a race, some of these little spot improvements are sort of the key, but as you get older and recovery starts to really be the limiter it's recovery that matters. Everything is planned around your recovery. You stop being frustrated by not having enough time to train and you can't recover in time to use all the training time you have. So yeah, if you've got some answers for that, that would be great. Did you like have a framework that you came up with? Yeah. I kind of put put together sort of a progression of what we can talk about today Okay, from a little bit more general to a little bit more specific, and we can just see how far we get through those. Great. So, but yeah, I'm happy to, to share absolutely everything that I've done in the past year. And let's see. So my surgery was October of 20, uh, 2019. So it's been a year and three months since my back fusion surgery. So all this has happened in the past a little bit over a year. So I agree with you, Joe, that when, when we were younger athletes, we just kind of focused on macros, which are protein, fat, and carbs. And, and Joe Friel and a lot of other incredible coaches always put that into our heads of carbs and proteins. And, and that's all evolved over the years, which we can talk about how there's such this huge emphasis on protein in, in this decade. And 10 years ago, it was low-fat, high-carb. And, and now we've got all these other uh, diets coming through. But what I like to, to ask people first is, do you feel fully energized every single day? There's going to be some days where you're a little tired or a little less energized, but you should be feeling energized almost every day. 
do you need coffee in the morning to get you kickstarted? Or do you need coffee throughout your day to keep going? And if you're eating the right foods and taking care of yourself the right way, you shouldn't really rely on that coffee to get you through two o'clock and three o'clock in the afternoon. Are you recovering from each workout also? And how do you do that best? And are you irritable or moody? And I'm sure you've talked about all these things on your podcast before. But yeah, before I sat down to dive into all these different diets, to me, it was just macros, you know, protein, carbohydrates, and fats. And to be honest, we, we can really stop obsessing about that because if you're eating a pretty rounded diet, almost everyone's hitting all the macros that they need to. And this huge emphasis on protein has been blown out of proportion, I've learned, by the protein manufacturing industry and all the protein shake industries. So we really don't need as much protein as we think we do. And we'll get into that later, the, the nitty gritty numbers. Yeah. But- I think people have lost their way in that we have to remember that muscles still work on glycogen. Carbs are still king, period. Yeah. Just right off the bat, as an example, one of the diets that has been getting a lot of interest and is, is kind of popping up on all the websites is the keto diet. Yeah. And just briefly, I looked through all the research because I, I was happy to try any diet that looks good on, on the peer-reviewed journals. There was not one study that shows that keto diet enhances athletic performance. So we just have to get that out on the table. There's not one study in peer-reviewed journals that show the keto diet enhances athletic performance, period. So I'm not going to say anything else about the keto diet. And I just happen to know that somebody (laughs) on this conversation might feel a little differently about that. And so I think that it's, it's fair to say that in scientific studies, even if you look at the subjects, in the scientific studies, they report on the average results and statistical significance. They don't say every single person had the exact same effect. And in fact, I mean, sometimes you find that even when the effect was significantly significant for the good, some of the people in the study had a negative effect. And so you can always find individuals who are not going to fit the mold or something that the scientific study said, no, this doesn't work, but it does work for them. Or the scientific study says it does work, but it doesn't work for them. So an example of that, yeah, is that uh, the the big studies on glucosamine for your joints, all the, the big, big, big studies that kind of said, finally, we're showing that glucosamine does not statistically show an effect. But I take glucosamine every day because I'm in that category of patients where in those studies, it did have an effect. There you go. So when people see me taking glucosamine, they go, Lauren, you're a scientist. I heard all the studies were negative. And I said, well, they were negative on the big, in the big statistical analysis. But for me, if I go two weeks without my glucosamine, my, my knees start aching. So Glenn, you're a keto guy. And I, and I bet you feel great on it and you love it. And you want everyone to go on it. But all I'm saying is when you look at the research, there's no studies that statistically show it enhances athletic performance. It definitely shows weight loss. It definitely shows that you're, uh, you're burning more fat than carbs. It shows all those things that people are finding. But when you look at the scientific data and you say, what enhances athletic performance at the nutrition level? And the main thing that has hundreds of papers is carbohydrates. Period. I will totally agree with you on that. But the thing is, what's really funny about that is that, and I struggled with keto for a long time. In the beginning, it was really tough because I didn't have the carbs in my system. 
But here's the fun part is that I'm way past that now. And so I don't really call it, Joe and I had this discussion a while back. I don't call it keto anymore because I eat carbs. I eat plenty ah. of carbs. That's the key thing is that, you see, the science, when I read the science, I came to the same conclusion. But I was willing to try it out and see if I could make sense of it. And yeah. when I got down the road, I realized, in fact, um, I met um, Dr. Finney. Mm -hmm. And we had a discussion about this. And I guess it was Dr. Burke was coming out saying, oh, it's all wrong, it's all wrong, it's all wrong, body, body. And he was saying, no, 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 we put the nail in the coffin way too soon. And in our discussion, I said, well, let me try this. And then I talked to um, Kitty Compton. And we were on a bike ride, our Saturday bike ride. She said, well, try this. And so I was getting stuff from the athletes themselves, trying different things. And I figured out a way to make it work so I could eat carbs before the race and still stay in keto. Yeah. And then I found out that I can even now, I can eat carbs anytime. I can, I can drive the system so hard to the carb side, I never come out of the ability to make ketones. But that was the key is that mm -hmm. I'm technically not, I'm in ketosis all the time, but I eat carbs. And that's the key. Yeah. We're not saying that a keto diet is a bad, is an evil thing. No. The scientific studies do not say this is a slam dunk. But Glenn says his personal experience is really good. Right. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not here to change any minds at all, but but let me just tell you what I did find. So after going through all the keto, and I was I was excited to try keto, and then the data just showed, yeah, it's not going to help you. It's not going to help you again. My goal during my three months of research was recovery from from my surgery. Yeah. What is going to help my bones, my muscles, and my skin to heal? So what kept popping up is a plant based diet, and the anti-inflammatory aspects of a plant-based diet and the oxidative, the antioxidant effects of a plant-based diet. So I was focusing on studies that showed if you break your leg, look at all these different diets. If you have surgery, look at all these different diets. I was not looking at athletic performance during these three months until after I, I was healed. So it was paper after paper, study after study that showed that it's obviously anti-inflammatory. So when you start eating more plant-based foods, these plants have tons of antioxidants in them naturally. So tomatoes and berries and bananas, and, and you've heard probably all this, I don't need to repeat that. But then the, the aspect of the inflammatory components of animal products is what totally surprised me. So dairy in particular is one of the most inflammatory things you could ever put in your body. And the data out there, they're showing inflammatory markers, they're showing inflammation in different parts of the body. Every orthopedic surgeon will kind of say, yeah, you may want to cut down on dairy when you're recovering from surgeries. And the benefits on the bone structure are minuscule compared to what the inflammatory effects are. So that's the dairy side of things. And then meat, what I learned is we as humans, when we go out for a hard workout, we obviously have free radicals in our muscles, which is what we're always trying to call down for recovery. But cows and, and pigs and, and all these animals where we get our beef, they also have free radicals in their, in their meat, in their muscles, and that's the meat that we're eating. And so when we're eating meat, there's all these studies that show inflammatory markers in our bodies after we eat red and white meat. So that was all completely surprising to me because again, I was in this world of I'm going to study foods that are going to help me recover from surgery, not recover from athletic performance. So lots and lots of studies on animal products being inflammatory and then plant products being anti-inflammatory. 
finding in my research on the plant-based diet, as far as recovery from from surgeries and injuries, it has this huge effect on your vascular system. Obviously, plant-based diets reverse heart disease. You've probably heard Dean Ornish maybe talk about this back in the day. It reduces plaques, it lowers blood pressure, it lowers your blood viscosity without any medications. So this helps the vascular system improve their healing, the healing process and increases oxygen transport also. So I'm still sitting here three months on the couch thinking, oh, this is going to be healing. This is going to be healing. I'm going to do this for six months and then, and then I'm not going to be plant-based anymore. But after I kept reading about it, think about it. It improves your vascular system. It, includes, it improves oxygen transport. It, <laughs> and then I started reading more on the athletic side of things and all these athletes that have become plant-based, they don't, and I didn't, I didn't feel a huge boost in performance. Like if someone were to take EPO, they just have this huge boost in their performance. Well, when you go plant-based, you don't really feel a huge boost in your performance. But what you feel is that you can recover immediately. So because it's anti-inflammatory, because there's all these antioxidants you're now taking in, I was able to just go hard day after day after day after day. And that just means you're going to become stronger as an athlete. Yeah. So there's no magic to the fact that you're eating, you know, plant-based that it's going to just make you faster. It's a function of the fact that you've brought the inflammation through your whole body down to a level that is so much lower that you don't need as many rest days. And as, as older athletes, as you said earlier, Joe, that's, that's the gold mine because it's not that we don't have time to ride anymore. If anything, as we get older, we have more time to ride and we don't have time to recover. So that's exactly what I felt yeah. when I first uh, went plant-based and, and got back on the bike. Did the research say that there is a, some sort of supplement you could take, ground up powder of vegetables, and then that's just as good. You eat whatever you want and there's take this ground up powder and now you're getting all the benefits of plant-based without being limited. No, I have not seen those studies. <laughs> Are you saying those studies do exist? I doubt it. No. Okay. Uh, I was just hoping. I'm actually in part from having spoken to you several weeks ago that sort of cemented me thinking hard about the whole plant-based thing. I've been pescetarian, I guess, more than anything for the last 10 years and and been very protein focused. I was, you know, I was a gym rat when I was in high school. I mean, I've nice. lifted weights and protein was everything. And I always found that protein was also very satiating. And so yeah. it was, has always been a big part of my diet. I mean, I eat huge amounts of protein. And the problem that I had with thinking about plant-based was how am I going to get my protein? But I have also been thinking and reading and hearing what you've been saying, which is don't need as much as I've been taking. Right. Quick question. I want to clarify. I wasn't quite sure, but when you're saying plant-based carbohydrates, are you saying your protein sources are also plant-based? So it's more vegetarian diet over a animal fat, like, like dairy, for example, and beef and cattle type stuff. Yep. That's correct. So in, in the plant-based, I mean, so I hate to use, let's talk about nomenclature here. I hate to use the word vegan because vegan carries with it the ethics side of things, the political side of things. And, and in my mind, if a person says they're vegan, it's, it's a little bit more about just their diet. So when I talk about nutrition, I say plant-based diet. 
But in essence, the diet is pretty much vegan. Vegan sometimes scares people away too. So you're not eating any animal products at all. So unfortunately, you can't take those amazing greens powders and also have a pork chop and feel that you're going to get the benefits of this whole anti-inflammatory plant-based nutrition world. I'm sorry, Joe. (laughs) Now, there's non-animal products that are carbohydrate-based that are not particularly healthy. So we'll get into that. It's it's very easy to be a non-healthy vegan. Absolutely. Okay. But you're absolutely right. The protein side of things. So let's talk about protein because both of you uh, are high protein guys. So all of the essential and non-essential amino acids can be supplied to you with a plant-based diet. There are many, many plant-based foods out there that have all of the important amino acids, uh, and they're considered complete proteins. And then there are definitely some where they're not complete proteins, but you know, you eat rice and beans. And when you put those two things together, like we do in all of our burritos, our breakfast burritos, you're going to get a, a full, a full gamut of amino acids. Supplements. So a lot of athletes in general do supplement their protein intake with protein powders. And so that's nothing new for most athletes. And the plant-based athletes also supplement. So we use pea protein uh, or we use rice protein, rice-based protein powders. But we do, we do supplement a bit because sometimes we're on the run or we get home from a ride and we we don't want to cook something and we just want to have a little bit of protein with our carbs. But I don't think that's anything new for athletes. But it's just the protein supplement world has become overzealous with how much protein we need. So 3% of Americans have low protein intake. 3%. And what percent don't eat enough vegetables and fruits? Oh, right. Exactly. I'd say 94%. (laughs) (laughs) It's got to be a big number. And so when you, when you see a protein bar that says 50 grams of protein, all that half of that is a waste of money because when you eat protein and your body can't store it or use it, it just becomes oxidized. So you're literally peeing out this protein that you just spent $8 on a bar that said it has 50 grams of protein. So it's not only just the dose, that people are taking in each sitting, but it's also the amount of protein that, that you need on a daily basis. Well, my understanding on that, and this also comes from my background as a weightlifter long ago, was that it comes from the bodybuilding industry Yeah, that where they're really, and it's not lies. It's just for a different purpose. These are people who are trying to maximize their genetic potential in the size of their muscles. And the only way to do that is to have a continuous stream of amino acids in your blood 24 hours, seven days a week. And, you know, if you're just trying to be fast on a bicycle or a good runner, you don't need that. We're not tearing down our muscles like people have been taught that we're tearing down muscles. We're not now. Now, granted, again, this is when I was when I was recovering from back surgery, they had cut all the muscles on each side of my spine. And I was Yikes. just, I was just picturing, oh my God, that's worse than a muscle tear. I can't believe they just cut the, the muscle off of my bone and I have to grow it back on. How am I going to do that? So 
so that's where, again, I was reading a lot about plant-based proteins. And when you eat, you know, we're, like I said, we're, we're all kind of taking these protein powders, but when you get your protein from whole foods, that's the most bang for your buck because the whole foods also have the antioxidants and the micronutrients, the vitamins and the minerals. So you're not only getting the protein from the whole food and it's being integrated into your body quickly because it's more bioavailable, but you're also getting all these other things that the whole food is giving you. So most of the people that I work with do take some kind of protein powder and I do also, but we try to get most of our protein from, from whole foods. Yeah. So tell me about the calorie issue Uh, for people who are not exercising, then, then that's a challenge for people who are exercising a lot. Then the problem is they, well, they got to get enough calories. You're not going to recover well if you're losing weight while you're exercising hard. So how do you get enough calories? It can't be you burn 2000 calories on the bike and a real hard bike ride. Now you eat what? 16 cups of peas. No. So yeah, this is what people think that, you know, being plant-based is just a bunch of broccoli and carrots and how you're going to eat with, with, uh, that. So for, for people who are trying to lose weight, obviously the plant-based diet is, is they love it because you can eat you. I mean, I even sometimes make a salad in this huge mixing bowl. It's kind of embarrassing sitting in my house, eating, eating out of this huge silver mixing bowl that you can just fill the whole thing and, and you get full really fast and, and then you're, you've only eaten 400 calories. Sure. A lot of water and fiber in that food. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So for the athlete though, that, that is burning 2000 calories on a ride, you've got to remember there's the nuts and the seeds and the avocados and the tofu and tempeh. And so I can get a lot of my calories with all natural peanut butter and almond butter it's surprising how that can add up. And then you've got seeds as well. So if you start putting pumpkin seeds on your food and start putting lentils and black beans and refried beans and all those beans, they're all very calorie dense. And and when I'm working with people who are trying to lose weight, they are attracted to those things because they're delicious on a plant-based diet. But those are the things that I say, well, you have to you have to eat those in proportion to the other calories in your diet, because that's a lot of calories in the seeds and nuts and legumes. For athletes, it's perfect because it's solid protein. It's 100% all the, the amino acids that we need. And, and it's filling. You know, you come home from a ride and you can make yourself another burrito. You had a breakfast burrito for breakfast. You can have a burrito for lunch too on a, on a plant-based diet. Oatmeal and all the different types of, of oatmeal cereals, depending on whether you get the quick oats or the, the complete oats or breakfast of, of warm quinoa with berries and bananas and soy milk and, and lots of uh, pumpkin seeds on top. That's a lot of calories. Those calories can add up. And that's a great blend of carbs and proteins as well as healthy fats. So there's a lot of things in the plant world that are pretty high in calories that I rarely see people saying I can't get enough calories as an athlete. Well, that's cool. Now, one of the issues, I mean, one of the things that people who are like into this carnivore thing, and and I think even some keto people 
are, you know, they're like poo-poo the whole fiber thing. Oh, I don't need fiber. Or maybe they've even had digestive issues and, and the carnivore diet, like no fiber, actually makes them feel a lot better. So if they were to go to a plant-based diet, they would have to have a lot more fiber in their diet. I mean, I assume that that's might be more natural, but are there problems? Do certain people have problems? Maybe some people are not built for that or they've destroyed their ability to, to have you know, the microbiome that helps them live with a lot of fiber. I mean, is there things people can do to try to get better at it? Absolutely. You, you hit it on the head. So initially, uh, with that added fiber, there is definitely a learning curve that your gut and your GI tract has to acquire. So I usually don't say, okay, go start eating a ton of broccoli and a ton of lentils and, and come back to me in a week and tell me how you feel. That would just be, that would be miserable for everybody involved, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yes. We usually start off with easing into it. So again, you've got all the grains that you can eat on a plant-based diet. So rice is not going to be bothersome to the GI tract. Oatmeal is not so bothersome, maybe a little bit of bloating. But so when it comes to getting more veggies and getting more legumes, I always have people uh, mix them with those kind of very bland types of uh, grains that are going to be, that are going to sort of, I don't want to say scientifically soak up the uh, the fiber, but you balance the fiber with quinoas and grains and oatmeals and rice and, and bread. I mean, you can have bread also, high, high grain bread. And so that balances out that increase in fiber. But we do take everyone up slowly on that. We don't, we don't go full on into the full fiber. What's interesting is that the data out from uh, National Institute of Health and the CDC are showing that this big upsurge in, in the carnivore diet and these low, low plant-based diets is there's a correlation between the increase in those diets and there's a huge increase in colon cancer over the past uh, 10 years or so. Now we can't, obviously, there's actually a correlation between babies' births and stork migration. So we know that that's not always a scientific correlation cause and effect, but the correlation is pretty interesting when you look at the fact that people are now eating zero fiber and they're, they're living on meat and it's just showing an increase in colon cancer. But back to the protein real quick, the, the wonderful thing about being around in this day and age too is that there are companies like Impossible and Beyond that are making these plant-based meats that, as you probably all know, they're not healthy foods. They have the same amount of saturated fat. They have the same amount of sodium. They have the same amount of calories as a regular burger, but you are getting a little bit less of the inflammation that you would if you were eating a beef burger. So hmm. we try to eat those in moderation. They are so delicious though. It's, it's, I mean, they're just great. They're so delicious. But the fact that they're still, they're still very highly processed food. So you're not going to get a lot of nutrient density out of them. And what I'm always focusing people on is you want the nutrient-dense foods out that are out there. And I have this table that shows the best plant, plant-based sources of protein. And again, it's, it's lentils and soybeans and, and split peas, all of the breads and grains. So whole wheat bread, whole wheat pasta, quinoa, buckwheat. Everybody loves buckwheat noodles, you know, soba noodles. Those are some of the most high-protein carbs. 
so you're getting this great blend of carbs and protein. And from a, from a athlete standpoint, it's incredible. And then back to the nuts and seeds that are really high calorie, you start sprinkling pumpkin seeds and peanuts and walnuts and pistachios, and you're eating sunflower butter and almond butter and, and cashew butter. Those are, those are such good sources of protein, fat, and calories for you that we never have problems reaching our calories um, when, we're, when we're eating those kinds of foods. And then you top every, I mean, the majority of your plate should be fruits and vegetables. And that's just icing on the cake because you're getting your micronutrients without taking multivitamins. That's the other thing I learned is I've, I used to take probably eight pills every day of, of just supplements. You know, I took my multivitamin, I took my calcium, I took my magnesium, my vitamin D, my vitamin E. And now that I went to the plant-based world, I've taken out everything but glucosamine. Mm. So I'm getting every single nutrient without taking pills anymore. And it's not only saving me from taking pills, but it's kind of saving me money too. <laughs> well, there's a win-win. Yeah. I was thinking as you were talking about, you know, how you get your protein from peanut butter or, or whatever, nut butter. And I was thinking, holy cow. I mean, it, it sure is easier when I got protein from just having a can of salmon, right? Because I, I know exactly how much protein I got from that. It's almost all protein or my uh, whey shake. It's almost all protein. And so it's easy to make sure I get enough protein. But if you're getting protein and not, and now you're talking about vitamin A and E and D and all these other nutrients in little teeny tiny portions from every little thing you eat, how do you add it all up and know that you got enough? So that's when I use this app chronometer. I mean, it's, I discovered this app probably two years ago. I was no longer really satisfied with my fitness pal. I mean, my fitness pal is great. There's a bunch of other great calorie tracking apps, but chronometer is super interesting because they track your macros and your micronutrients. And it's unbelievable how much information they can give you. And that is how I learned I could take out all of my supplements because at the end of every day, it lists every single micronutrient, every amino acid, every vitamin, every mineral. It's this amazing report and you can see exactly where you are. Did I get 20%? Did I get 80% every day? So you do have to track the food. They have a bar code scanner and it's, it's pretty easy to do, but you're absolutely right. It's hard to, keep track of all those little bits and pieces of protein throughout the day. And what I do with, with all my clients is I have them use chronometer for several weeks. And then after several weeks, they don't need it anymore. Cause people eat the same things generally. Yeah. And you kind of get to know portion size and okay. So if I have two tablespoons of peanut butter, I know that's going to be this many grams protein. And I know that if I have, you know, this uh, cup of lentils, it's going to be that much protein. So especially on the protein side, people just learn pretty quickly. And yeah, a lot of people just kind of eat the same things over and over, which is fine. So you really only need to track yourself for a few weeks and and you learn pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I'll have to look into that chronometer. Uh, Okay. So the, the next thing that is on my mind, and I mentioned to you when we first chatted that I'm actually going through a challenge right now. I'm hoping to have a podcast about it at some point about yeah. my continuous glucose monitor that I'm wearing. It's mm-hmm. it's sort of temporary that I'm doing through a company called Levels. And 
they give you 28 days worth. That's two mm. that they get. And then they, you track your food and you see what affects you. And the reason that I'm doing this is because I've got everybody on my father's side had or died from you know, diabetes-related complications, mm. type 2 diabetes. And I've, for I think forever, have had high triglycerides and for the last 10 years, off and on, been diagnosed as pre-diabetic. And so I'm worried about that and I'm trying to mm-hmm. manage that. And one of the things that I do to manage that is I don't have grains. Mm. Bread in particular, it, although I haven't actually tried it on while I'm wearing this monitor because it's just been so foreboding, uh, unwelcome in my diet that I just think of it as like candy. That it would have, I assume that it would have the same effect nope. on my body as candy. Now you're saying that's not true. A lot of people think of carbs that way, right? Let me see. Yeah, I can tell you about that in a sec, but keep going. Go ahead. Okay. So, you know, and then related to the bread, one of the, the side benefit of not having the bread and the pasta and all of the things like that uh, was that I didn't get the gluten, which I had become afraid of over the years of hearing people talk about how they were sensitive or, you know, and I, of course, knew people with celiac disease. So yes, please talk about grains. <laughs> so carbohydrates are, they, they kind of have become the devil, that word carbs. Oh, I'm trying to cut carbs, trying to cut carbs. So carbohydrates on the scientific level come in in different different forms. So you've heard of monosaccharides and disaccharides and polysaccharides. And uh, they all get broken down into the body through through similar mechanisms. But when you when you have a Snickers bar and you've got 25 grams of carbs in a Snickers bar, and then you've got a whole wheat bread and you've got 25 grams of carbs in your whole wheat bread, the Snickers bar is going to show such a fast increase in sugar in your body because it's a simple sugar. It's a monosaccharide that your body breaks it down really quickly and your body gets a surge of that pure glucose and your insulin levels spike. And so this is absolutely related to your your family and their diabetes. When you eat whole grain wheat bread, same amount of carbs, it is mixed with fiber. And this is just coming back to fiber again. And fiber physically slows down the release of sugar into your bloodstream. I'm sorry for interrupting, but is this true for like Wonder Bread, white bread with sugar no. added in? That's and- why I said whole wheat bread. No, nope. oh, that's did. why okay. I said whole grain, whole wheat bread. Yep. Okay. So white, yeah, Wonder Bread is like a Snickers bar. Absolutely. Okay. So the more highly processed the carb is, so brown rice is better than white rice. Um, steel cut oats are better than quick oats. So the more you are processing that food and kind of taking out the outer skin, so to speak, of a food, that's going to increase the sugar, the sugar high, I guess you would say. And then that is what spikes insulin. But all of the carbs and all of the diabetes physicians out there still promote whole grain types of carbs because they look nothing like candy in your body. There's, There's no insulin spike like there is with pure monosaccharide glucose sugars. Okay. Well, I'm wearing a yeah. continuous glucose monitor, so I'm going to I'm going to find Good. out the answer to I this question hear. here yeah. in the next 24 hours. So, do you feel the same way about about fruit? I'm really curious no, to hear that. Uh, but some fruit there there are definitely fruits that are that have the effect. Well, and I haven't eaten a candy bar either while I've been doing this, which maybe I should just to know what candy bar looks like. <laughs> 
because yeah. I've been saying, oh, that looks like a candy bar, but I don't even really know. Apples, for example, whoa. Correct. And apple is, which is full yeah. of fiber, but the apple, the sugar in an apple, boom, hits me mm-hmm. big time. But berries don't. Blackberries, blueberries. Correct. Absolutely. Berries have a lot more fiber than things like the, the apples and bananas and even carrots. So now you're talking about glycemic index. Yeah. And all of every food that you know has a glycemic index. But what's interesting is watermelon and a cupcake has the same glycemic index. But it takes more watermelon to hit that glycemic index than it does a cupcake. So you need to eat two watermelons to get to its true glycemic index. In that would hit one cupcake. So it's also your portions. Sure. So the, um, the amount of grams of glucose matters. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. And so apples and berries uh, are, are similar and berries have a lot more, a lot more fiber in them than apples. Apples feel like they have a lot of fiber because they're skin, but that fiber is broken down pretty quickly. So that's why berries have become just the end all be all because they're so high in antioxidants. They're not a sugar spike, but they give you the carbs that athletes need. So everyone listening to this podcast should be eating like a pint of blueberries every single day. (laughs) Well, I can raise my hand on that one. It's the, it's the bread that I have to find out about. Cause I, and I'll tell you that I love bread. Giving up bread was one of the hardest things to do. You don't need to whole grain, the really, really grainy breads that have substance to them. Now there's still a lot of calories in it. So, uh, but that's a different question. And you're, but you're just saying that from a blood sugar perspective, Correct. I shouldn't fear the bread. You know, maybe Correct. I shouldn't eat a loaf of it. Well, you shouldn't eat a, yeah, you shouldn't eat a loaf of anything. <laughs> okay. So that, that's it. So you've got, you've got the nutrition side of things and then you've got the weight loss side of things. And I am working with a lot of people who are trying to lose weight as well. And I provide them recipes that are going to be plant-based, get all their micronutrients so they don't have to take supplements and are also low in calorie, but still satisfying. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the trick. Plant-based and low calorie, I think works, you know, if you're eating vegetables in particular. Yeah. If you're not eating the nuts and seeds and avocados. Yeah. yeah. So again, there's, there's a lot of ways to get a lot of calories on plant. I mean, bean burgers, you know, again, your breakfast burrito, you could be vegan and have three breakfast burritos a day and just be like, I'm yeah. still vegan, but that's a lot of calories. You're not eating plants all day. <laughs> I totally get what you're saying. I, and I want to confirm the bread thing, but I would never starve to death if I went Correct. vegan because I could be, I could overeat on nuts easily. And in fact, exactly. whenever I have nuts in the house, I'm putting on weight. Yeah. Yeah. You know, your daily portion of nuts to, to for a weight stable Absolutely. person is like three nuts. <laughs> yeah, you've got to weigh it out. You get three handfuls. Oh, yeah. you better skip some meals, yeah. baby. Well, I think that's also why it's it's become you know twenty years ago trail mix and granola were considered health foods, and now everyone knows trail mix and granola are two of the most sugar laden, high calorie, high fat, and and you have a hard time portion controlling those two things because granola is so delicious and who eats a half a cup of trail mix right. so lots of calories yeah so so i agree with you nuts okay. you can you can go far with nuts so from the weight loss standpoint you're absolutely right being plant-based 
makes life easier if you are trying to lose weight. And so I've seen a lot of great results with people that they, they look at this chart that we have that talks about calorie density and the lowest is veggies, then it goes fruits, then legumes, then processed carbs, which is the Wonder Breads and the scones and the cupcakes, and then come the meats. And so from a calorie standpoint, meats are pretty much the highest calorie dense food you can eat too. So makes it a lot easier to lose weight if you if you lean more plant-based. And again, I I'm not out here to preach to anybody that everyone should go plant-based. It's not for everybody. And I'm working with clients who have flat out said to me, I eat burgers and I eat eat cheese and I'm not giving any of those up. And I say, that's fine. We'll work with that. That's perfectly fine. <laughs> what could you do for a person like that? Oh, well, nutrition is still, they're not going to get the anti-inflammatory effects that, that plant-based will, but I'm still working with them on their nutrition and their micronutrients. And we'll have a little bit more of that, have a little bit less of that. We're just going to tweak this and that and bam, you're off your supplements and you've got more energy. So nutrition is still going to include, I still have the knowledge with the meats and the dairies for sure. And I know which meats and dairies are the healthiest. But in general, when I hear athletes who want to just peak their performance, I say, well, if you really want to peak your performance, you should just try going a little more plant-based. Well, that's cool. So what else? What else is in this program? This uh, framework of yours, the the nutrition leg of your framework. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting is I, I am working with several athletes who uh, are focusing on certain events and their events are all different and your nutrition has to be different with different events. So some of them are cyclocrossers who will just have to go hard for 45 minutes to an hour. I've got another person who is doing Ride the Rockies, which is going to be a, a multi-day, not race pace, but it's multi-day and you have to you have to tweak your nutrition. But my favorite is a couple that is doing uh, Tour the Divide, which is that multi-week mountain bike gravel ride from Canada to Mexico. Well, I think I saw a documentary about that. That's serious. Yeah, there's a couple good ones. Yeah. And you're you're kind of baby sacking on the side of the trail. You're hardly ever yeah. sleeping. You're, and uh, you obviously can't carry your, all your food with you. This is multi-day. So you're going into town every now and then, but most days they are eating gas station food. And so they said to me, Twinkies and beef jerky. <laughs> so plant, so be, they're both vegan. Uh-huh. So I did uh, several days of research on what gas station foods are vegan. And I've got a long list for them. And when they saw that list, they were like, oh, my God, you saved us. We're, we're going to be able to do this and stay vegan the whole time. It's surprising how much gas station food is vegan. But again, it's not healthy, but at yeah. least they're going to stay under that anti-inflammatory state from that perspective. Lots of sugar, but they're going to be burning 7,000 calories a day. Yeah. So, so these are the kind of things, yeah, these are the kind of things that I'm doing for, for my clients. If they have a question, I go research it. Well, but tell me about the, the difference in your advice for the cyclocrosser who, you know, the whole race is in the first 30 seconds. You know, right. they, they got to right. sprint yeah. off the start line <laughs> and that's sort of how they're going to finish. Uh, versus the person who's going to ride hard for a week. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that is more about uh, how, when you eat, uh, leading up to when your ride is. So cyclocross, back when I was racing cyclocross, if my race was at 8 a.m., I'd have to get up at 5 a.m. to eat breakfast because you've got to fully digest it. It's got to be um, predominantly carbs with a little bit of protein so that it'll take you all the way to your race. Whereas someone who's getting up and they're about to go six hours on Ride the Rockies, uh, they can eat a little bit more food and a little bit closer to the time that they ride. But when it comes to, when I, when I said earlier in our podcast, we can stop obsessing about macros, carbs and proteins and fats. The only time you want to be obsessing about those is right before, during and after you ride. So then we still do have to focus on macros. And again, people think you come home from a ride and you have a protein shake. We have to remember that muscles work on glycogen. And when you come home from a ride, you still want to have as many carbs as you can with a little bit of protein. So ideally, it's a four to one ratio. So this whole come home from a ride and, and have protein, you're, you're harming tomorrow's ride by doing that. You've got that one and a half hour glycogen window where your muscles are ready to take in glucose to again, heal, this came from my whole, how do I heal faster? Your muscles have an hour and a half where they're saying, please give me glucose so I can get ready for tomorrow. And if you feed them protein, that's doing nothing for tomorrow's ride. So it's those kinds of tweaks that I have to think about. Well, what is their event? Are they going day after day after day? Is it just one hard effort? And then tomorrow they've got a rest day. And, and those, those nutrition pieces, especially if you're plant-based, are going to look different. Well, you had mentioned sleeping, mm. which, you know, as we get older, it more and more of us, me in particular, struggle with being, getting good sleep every single night. And, uh, you know, and I've heard different things. It's better to not eat a long time before you go to sleep, sort of a circadian rhythm type of a thing. And then I've, I've also heard people say, oh, you know, you you really do need some carbs before you go to bed. It has an effect on your cortisol production at night, blah, blah, blah. What did you find that fixed your sleeping issues? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, I found that something about the plant-based inflammatory diet with, with the vegan world is kind of calming the whole body down at night. And the science behind that is, is not fully worked out yet, but the, and that's a separate point than your stop eating at 8 PM. I have everyone that I work with stop eating at 8 PM. And that's mainly because you don't need fuel to go to sleep. The only time that you would need to eat at 8 p.m. is if you're on a multi-day back-to-back like this couple who's doing tour divide. You do want to eat something before you go to bed because tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. you're going to get up and do eight more hours and the next day eight more hours and they're doing that for weeks at a time. But I have everyone that I know stop eating at 8 p.m. So number one, almost everyone sees a drop in their weight. So a lot of people who do eat after eight, that turns almost immediately into fat because you're not, I mean, think about how fuel works. You eat something and then you burn it off and then you eat it to burn it off. So if you eat at eight o'clock and then you watch a Netflix movie and then you go into your bed, when are you burning that off? And while you're sleeping, it's turning into fat. 
So it's being stored either as glycogen in your muscles or it'll be stored as fat. So I suppose the, the pushback on that could be, you know, as long as you're, that's included in the amount of calories that you're eating that is balanced with the amount of calories that you're burning, then yeah, maybe you're turning that into fat while you sleep and then you'll turn that into energy for your body later. Uh, yep. But a better way to do it might be to turn it into energy when you need it, when you're awake and not right. be more tired during the day and more awake during the night. Because your digestion is an energy is a thermic process. So I also feel that that's the reason that not eating right before bed is kind of bringing your body down, calming it down. It's not so energized. If you eat, your body is now revved up and digesting and that's an energy producing thing. So it's a little bit harder to sleep when your body's in full blast digestion mode. So the last thing I've got timing. So we, we just talked about the sort of the circadian rhythm thing, you know, eat during the day, not, not at night, but is there other sort of, and you mentioned before races or during rides or right after rides, but are there other sort of cyclic periodized things that people should be thinking about? Well, yeah, we've only got a few minutes left, but so the difference between intermittent fasting and fasted workouts are two completely different things. So intermittent fasting has gotten very popular. I absolutely love it, even though I don't always do it. So the data on intermittent, the peer-reviewed clinical trial data in intermittent fasting for not just weight loss, but it, it activates genes in the body for longevity. So years and years and years ago, we knew that the only thing that increased longevity, the only thing ever shown is calorie restriction, but we didn't know why. So the past five years, David Sinclair and a couple of other guys from, from Stanford and, and Harvard and MIT have been looking at the genetics of why does calorie restriction increase our longevity? And they're showing that the genes that are activated when you make yourself hungry at least once a day are all of these anti-inflammatory and longevity genes. So the science, I just couldn't believe when I was reading this, and it's coming out on a day-to-day basis, it's all in its youth, this, this research center, but it's showing that just by being hungry, that is putting your body into a state of a little bit of stress. And we've been too low stress for too long because there's food surrounding us everywhere. And that activates the, the best things that you could turn on in your genetics. Those things are activated. It's, it's unbelievable. That's really interesting. Now, it's hard to do that as an athlete because most of the intermittent fasting is 16-8. And so you stop eating at 8 and you don't eat again until 12 or 10 the next day. And But I want to get my workout in. But So I, I work with my athletes on, well, do you want to do intermittent fasting? You have to break your fast early if you want to do a fasted ride. So there are two very different things that we have to look at independently. But we can always figure out a way of, of joining them up and making it happen healthy. Interesting. And then the grazing, I'm a big grazer, and the data show that metabolism is not slowed down if you graze versus have three, three meals a day. I was always curious about that because I'm a big grazer. What does that mean? So grazing means instead of having three big meals a day, I kind of snack all day. Oh. Snack meaning I eat healthy foods, but I'm, eating, I'm putting something in my mouth almost every hour. Glenn, is that what you do also? 
Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> Years ago, that was seen as uh, as very healthy because it it the idea was it keeps your blood sugar levels stable all day long, so you're not having these three spikes of blood sugar a day. But then years after that, the data, well, there was actually no data. The hypothesis was that, oh, but if you're constantly digesting, that's putting your body into stress. So you need your body to rest from digestion throughout the day. So that's why you should have three meals a day or OMAD, which is one meal a day. But there's no data on that, that it shows that it changes your metabolism at all. So grazing versus three meals a day, you can do either. And uh, I guess related to that, you were talking about uh, intermittent fasting, which is sort of, you know, an old school person might say, that's like meal skipping, right? Yeah. So (laughs) it's not really fasting exactly. It's just not eating all your meals. But fasting is a thing that purportedly has lots of health benefits. I don't know if you looked into that at all or whether that fits into the, the structure of your program. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is the data that I was looking at that show not only metabolic changes, but uh, and weight loss, people almost always lose weight when they're intermittent fasting, but all those genetic changes that increase longevity and increase uh, the anti-inflammatory effects of food. So absolutely fasting, whether you call it intermittent fasting or skipping meals is great for you. Yep. Okay. Well, thanks very much. We've run out of time here. Um, I appreciate you being patient with me. And I want to uh, thank you both for spending some time here. Lauren, I want to ask you to tell our audience here how they can get in touch with you if they have more questions. Oh, sure. So you can email me at lauren at confluencecoach.com, C-O-N-F-L-U-E-N-C coach.com. And the website is confluence.com, or sorry, confluencecoach.com. Uh, and I'd be happy to to just chat with you and, and learn more about what your goals are and what your nutrition's like and if you want to tweak it. Excellent. Well, thanks very much. It, Pleasure to be here. Thanks to you both. And uh, we'll also put all of the, the contact info for uh, Lauren's uh, nutritional business as well as your uh, bike touring business in the show notes. So you can go there for that information as well. Thank you again, everybody. You have a great day. Thank you. It's such a pleasure. All righty. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening into our discussion with Lauren Constantini. I hope you found Lauren's journey to find an optimal diet for master's athletic performance as interesting and as useful as I did. If you have questions for Lauren, check out the show notes where you can find a link to the Confluent Nutrition website. And if you head over to wiseathletes.com, you can send us a question to address on the podcast, see all of our episodes, subscribe to our podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you are on social media and enjoyed this episode, please post about it. That would be a great help. Thanks again.